Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. to the Cut to the Race podcast. Today on the show, we have a very, very special guest. Now, it's not someone that you hear on a lot of podcasts. It's not one of these people who do the rounds. It's a very, very special guest. Um, But before I introduce her, we have Cal. How are you, Cal? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Very keen to get some information out of this wonderful guest we have on today. I feel like there's going to be some very, very cool stories. Indeed, we have Abby with us. Abby, how are you? Um, can you just remind me, Abby, who, what team is it that you're a fan of? I'm very well, thank you, but I am a McLaren fan, so I'm particularly excited for today's show. Mm, funny that. And uh, James, how are you, sir? I'm very good. How are you, Ollie? Yes, I'm great. Thank you for asking. And we do have a special guest, like I said. We have Amanda McLaren on the show. Amanda. How are you today over in New Zealand? Look, I'm fantastically well. Um, A little bit overawed by that amazing welcome, and I hope I can live up to the expectations. But it's Ah. just great to be on on your podcast, and and thank you for inviting me. Absolutely no problem. And um, I'm going to admit failure. Now, I'm not someone who makes a mistake and then just hides it. Um, due to time differences, this was meant to happen yesterday, um, but I got time differences wrong. So we're here today. Uh, there is a 13 hour time difference between us. So it's 9 p.m. in the UK and we're talking to Amanda at it's 10 a.m. where you are, isn't it? It's 10 a.m. It's a beautiful sunny day, not wanting to rub it in for those of you listening from sort of the, the cold northern hemisphere. But um, here in New Zealand, I've got the sea behind me. Um, and the sun's out and it's just beautiful so yeah wow well i I mean it being in manchester england i do feel like the northern hemisphere and it's a it's about minus one so yeah you've just you've just made me certainly feel jealous um but amanda for those who don't know who you are this is a standard question we ask everyone um if you could describe yourself in one sentence amanda who who are you (laughs) well in in terms of the reason I'm on the podcast, I'm the daughter of Bruce McLaren, who founded the McLaren team in 1963. Now, that sort of is literally just given me uh, goosebumps there, uh, Amanda. But um, what, what was your earliest memory then 
of, I mean, you've obviously you're in a motorsport family, a car family, an automotive automotive um, world. Uh, what was what was your earliest memory that you can recall uh, of this world that you've been born into? Well, to be honest, sort of, I grew up at an early age, a little bit sort of blasé um, about the world that my mother and father were involved in, in the the people who were family friends, I had no idea that other people had them up on their, their bedroom wall as their pin-up heroes. And that in actual fact, the names on the titles of the book that were in our bookshelf were actually the people that were coming to our house to visit mum and dad. Because back then, really, you know, Formula One drivers were, were rivals on the track, but incredibly good friends off track and you know they socialize together and, and my mother had one for dinner parties and, and so on so I just grew up with these people as sort of you know Uncle Jack Brabham and uh, Uncle Graham Hill and, and really had no idea <laughs> and yes I went to the races but you know it, it, it I actually apparently my first word was horsey and all through my life I admit that I've preferred anything with four legs to four wheels um, although I am obviously very passionate about McLaren and, and, and the racing and, and the road cars, but um, horses were my passion. So I'd be in the pits of a, a motor race and, and be running around, jumping over piles of tyres, pretending to be a horse, which, you know, God forbid, that could happen now. But that's, you know, just how motor racing has changed over the years. But if we fast forward and, and nobody do the math, I'm 10 years old, it's 1976. And a certain gentleman called James Hunt is driving for McLaren. And yet again, I had no idea that most of my school friends had him on their bedroom wall as my pinup, as their pinup hero. <laughs> I certainly did, but I thought, well, it's just because I knew about him because he drove for McLaren. So we're at the British Grand Prix at Brands Hatch, and there was that infamous first corner incident, red flag, everything comes to a stop. And the crowd gets wind that potentially James might not be allowed to restart. Well, the British fans went berserk and there was slow hand clapping and stomping in the grandstands and, and it was all going on. And I'm sitting there with my mother in the middle of all this. So anyway, long story short, we started and off we went and everything was fine. But I go back to school the next day and I'm telling everybody about what had happened. And sort of just said, oh, you know, when we talked to James after the race. And all these school friends <laughs> kind of looked at me and their eyes came out on the door. And they're like, wait, wait, what? Hold on. You met James Hunt yesterday. And I'm like, yeah. So what? And they're like, you met James Hunt. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And so <laughs> they're like, how the heck did you manage to do that? And we were all very polite of school children, so that was probably about bad stop. And I'm like, well, he races for the team my father founded. And then I realised at that point, that was all I knew. They started asking me questions and I didn't know the answers. So I went back home and I started the scrapbook of the 76 years, the infamous battle between Nikki and, and James. And... I started reading the magazines my mother used to get every month, like Radio Track and Murdering Sport, Motorsport and Murdering News. And, and I started reading the books. And unfortunately, by that point, so many of the family friends had been killed. Um, motor racing was incredibly dangerous through the 60s and 70s. Um, but I, I was able to tap into my mother and and the amazing life she'd had and all the things she'd seen as she traveled with my dad and get the stories from her. And that continued through and until she died. She she had a wonderful memory, could tell some lovely stories. And but really that that's my kind of first it, it was a big light bulb moment. It was a big wake up call. Um and and really was sort of my initiation into the world of Formula One. Um yeah, as I say, having and and, and you know I myself now for not sort of 
being able to make more use of talking to the people that we knew. But um, I, I, I was blissfully unaware. <laughs> Obviously, you, you, your father, Bruce, was an incredible presence in the, the world of motorsport, formed McLaren Racing, and he's one of the people I personally wish we could have in this era of motorsport. Could you ever imagine, back when you were a 10-year-old girl stood at that 1976 Brands Hatch Grand Prix, that McLaren would, one, be where it is now, and two, not only competing in Formula One, but competing in IndyCar, Extreme E, eSports as well, going into 2022. And do you think that, you know, if your dad was still alive today, that he would have actually, you know, guided the, the sort of the company in that direction? Or do you think he would have stayed straight onto F1 and only F1? Um. Great, great question. I think, I mean, Dad founded Bruce McLaren Motor Racing in 1963, and while his ultimate goal was Formula One, every racing driver really is, their ultimate goal would be Formula One, I think. Um, he started off in sports cars um, because that was an easier thing to do. And also with the Pan Am series starting up in the USA, Prize money was very good. And the thinking was if they did reasonably well in that, they would get money to fund the fledgling Formula One team because back in those days, the, the sponsorship was a, a tyre or some lubricant or fuel for the car or some brake discs or pads or something. So, you know, the money was needed to, you know, pay the rent on the, on the garage and, and, you know, pay the, the staff wages. So money was needed. So Dad got very into sports cars. Um, and obviously, <laughs> I mean, you know, the Can-Am story is just you know, what a success, you know, 100% record of, of wins in 1969. It's incredible. But, you know, he was doing that. Um, and then he was building Formula 2 cars. He was building Formula 1 cars. He was building Formula 5000 or Formula Libra cars. He was building Indy cars. And because he also then wanted to get into Group 4 sports car racing um, and race at Le Mans, as he had done back in 66 and other years, but obviously winning in 66 with the Ford, um, he wanted to race at Le Mans in a car of his own design and build. And so he was planning to do that and to actually build a road car because that was the rules at the time. And, and yeah. He was planning to build road cars as well. So if you fast forward to what McLaren are doing today, um, most of the above, um, and also just integrating some of the, the newer technologies and things, so the Extreme and also the, the Shadow series um, with, with the online. Um, I think Dad would, would have gone down that road because he loved just building race cars and, and again back then most drivers drive across the genre of, of, of um, racing rather than just pick the sort of one and progress up through the ladder um, so one of the most common questions I get asked is what would your dad think of the parents today would it be proud and I wouldn't have gone back to work for them if I didn't believe he would and I think because of, of what they're doing and how they're doing it and yes, they, they've had a few lean years, you know, that, that happens to all teams. But, you know, I think Dad would, would love the fact that they are back in, in, in sports cars. They are back at Indy um, and they are doing all these things. And also to encourage the younger fans, in, which is so incredibly important um, in motor racing, especially in Formula One, because without them, you know, we haven't got a future. So I think, yeah, yeah, Dad, Dad would have gone down, the, the continued down the road he was going. Um, to continue to make the team bigger and bigger and stronger and diversified. So, yeah. Oh, that, that's good to know because, like, the, the anecdote you used there of him being in absolutely everything he could be involved in, it sort of feels like McLaren are trying to replicate that now almost. And that's really good to see that they're sticking with your father's roots in, in a way. Um, so, yeah, I'm really, I'm really happy that he was like that and they're trying to now be the same. That, that's brilliant. You said earlier, Amanda, that your passion was more for horses rather than motorsport and things with four legs rather than four wheels. 
But as the daughter of Bruce McLaren and having a grandfather involved in motorsport as well, was there any kind of pressure growing up for you to be in motorsport and practically pursue that industry as a career? No, there wasn't. Um, I, I went to a very traditional all-girls school um, and had a very classic education. Um, you know, low Latin, which is incredibly useful. Um, not engineering wasn't a word I ever heard at school. Um, and I'm, I'm pleased to say I went and, and visited the school recently, and the opportunities available to to the girls there is, is are just amazing. And and the the, the woodworking um, thing they've got the the um, engineering department that they it, they can do all that, but it was still very much a sort of within that. It was all very sexist back in those days. So I grew up um, not really knowing what I wanted to do and went to one of those careers advice um, seminars um, when I was doing my O-levels, which for those of you now see CSEs or whatever they, they might be called. Um, but yeah, 15 years old. Um, and I was told I could either be a nurse, a policewoman, or a teacher. Well, I'm really not very child friendly. They have to have four legs. Um, <laughs> so I wasn't going to be a teacher. <laughs> I would love to have been a mounted policewoman and ride horses all day and be paid to do that. However, I wasn't tall enough to meet the criteria at that time. So I couldn't be a policewoman. So what was open to me was nursing. And, and I'd always been vaguely interested. Um, I'd always sort of watched the hospital folks on TV. And so long story short, I, I go and do my nursing training at the Guy's Hospital in London. And uh, I became later very much attracted to theatre nursing. It's quite technical. <laughs> and I got drawn more and more and more into the anaesthetic assistant side of things. And the machine. And subsequently, I got very much into sort of education and teaching resuscitation and how to use defibrillators and how to use ventilators and became involved with the reps and, and buying new equipment and troubleshooting and going to various wards and departments when there was a trauma happening or a resus happening and being the one that operated all the machines. So I think. <laughs> If you, if you think that, Dad, you know, he was a driver, but also very much an engineer. And so I think I really did inherit that love of engineering and how things work. And it, it, it would have been, had I been a boy, possibly a route I would have gone down in a, a, a um, avenue that I would have explored. However, put me on a racetrack. Um <laughs> I have never wanted to be, and I've only done it a couple of times, and I really didn't enjoy it, being on a grid with 15, 20, 30 other people around you. The red mist is rising, the flag drops, and everybody wants to be first out of the first corner. So I would tend to pull over, let them go past, let them do half a lap, and then go and enjoy the drive. <laughs> I love driving. I love cars. But I have, I'm not particularly competitive in terms of beating other people. The only person I want to beat and, and, and improve on is myself. And I just, you know, I've had the opportunity to drive a lot of the, the McLaren road cars over the last few years. And they are just superb pieces of machinery. But, you know, I don't want to go 200 miles an hour. Um, they all can, but I don't really, really want to. But, you know, just being able to go around the corner a little bit quicker than in your average family you know, car or something like that. It is what it's like for me, but also what goes on under the skin of those cars. They're beautiful to look at, but the engineering and the design philosophy and that link back to nature and the things I'm interested in, the animals, um, it, it, that's the side of it that, that really intrigues me. I'll scream at the telly when, 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 you know, Formula One's on or Indy or whatever, but I've never really wanted to be a part of it. And my mother always sort of encouraged me to do what I felt best for me. Um, sometimes she did raise her eyebrows, 
eyebrows and shake her head. But um, subsequently, my stepfather was also very instrumental in sort of honing my career um, and encouraging me to, to sort of pursue the avenues of nursing. And, and then I did a Master's of Nursing Leadership and got into the things that really interested me. Um, and he was very much about, you know, you need to do something that, that you enjoy doing because work is a big part of your life. Um, and, and I was never sort of, my, my mother obviously, when my father was killed, terrible time for her. Um, but she was never bitter about motor racing. She was really McLaren's number one fan until the day she died. She called everybody there, regardless of whether they'd worked with my father or not, her boys, <laughs> even if they just joined oh. six months ago. They were her boys. And yes, she was very passionate about it, but I never had any pressure on me to follow in sort of dad's footsteps or get on the track, um, for which, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful. Um, so I, I know a lot of, of people who've been pushed into a career by their parents, um, not pleasant, and something I, I certainly um, am very pleased didn't happen to me it's fascinating that to see that the parallels still come through though like you say with the the technical side of things and being drawn into the ventilators and you must have been really satisfied to see when at the start of the pandemic and the f1 teams all rallied around to to help with the, the ventilators when they were being brought in absolutely i mean a, a, an incredible thing to do um and funnily enough we were on a cruise ship at the time that the, the pandemic hit and halfway around the, around the world cruise, we, we just got to Australia when all the ports started shutting down, which long story short meant that we ended up 33 days at sea without setting foot on land. And um, they couldn't get any new entertainment entertainers onto the ship. So they started asking the passengers if they could do a presentation. And of course, through my career as a nurse and then with McLaren, presenting was kind of half our job. Uh, and my husband often sort of joined me and we'd do kind of Q&A um, and he'd ask the questions and I'd give the answers. Um, and we happened to have a presentation on his laptop, which we said, okay, we can kind of do this. So we left it until the very end of the, of the cruise because we really didn't want to be back in work mode because this was our holiday. Um, and I will get to the point of the story about ventilator um <laughs> so we, we left it to the end because as soon as you sort of open your mouth and, and and people know who you are what you do you get that right to a question so you know my husband's sort of banned from wearing the t-shirt when we're on on holiday and and i'm just a man who he's Stephen Donnell and they assume i'm a man Donnell and that's fantastic so <laughs> we um we're doing this presentation and we go through, you know, the history and that and we go through F1 and we go through the road cars and then we talk about the ventilator and it got the biggest round of applause of any presentation and anything that had been said up to that point. And, and I think people really appreciated the fact that, you know, the Formula One teams, while they couldn't race, were doing something that people thought was, thought was very worthwhile. And there is a section of the public that still think that, you know, motor racing is boring, cars go round and round and Formula One's an exorbitant waste of money. But if you look at, and, and you know, McLaren Applied Technologies are doing it, Williams are doing it, other teams are doing it, taking the learning and what they're doing in Formula One and putting it into affecting our everyday life. And, 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 you know, the ventilator, whether you're moving or, or as a designer or an engineer, you're moving a liquid or a gas or something from A to B in a car or in a ventilator, principles are the same. So, yeah, I, I was delighted to see that McLaren were doing that. Um, great way to, to help. Um, and at McLaren Technology Centre, one of the ventilators is on display in among all of the history and the heritage and the cars and things on the boulevard. Because I think, you know, McLaren are proud of what they did um, and justifiably so. So, yeah, absolutely good on them. I mean, it, it, it's, it's absolutely incredible that, you know, a sport that has been known for 
hemorrhaging money, spending way too much, might have been too glamorous, has actually turned out to be something that has, you know, it, it, it's changed things for the better. And and I, I, for one, I was really proud to see that when it started to come out in the newspaper, you know, that um, our, our beloved teams and, you know, at, at McLaren were obviously a massive part of this, but it was it was our sport that was championing this and putting their resources to, to good measure. Now, um, Amanda, I'm just going to throw it back to you again for a minute because obviously we've done a little bit of research here for this podcast. Um, when I was Googling and doing some online research, I found your your life in cars. Um, so what I want to do is just just run, run this through for our listeners um, because you would think that Amanda McLaren has driven McLarens her whole life. You know, you would, you would think that. Um but Amanda, is is that the case? No, it's absolutely not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there is a common misconception that, you know, I, I'm a shareholder of McLaren, I'm on the board of directors, um, and I have an F1 and a P1 in the garage. I mean, that would be lovely, but, you know, I'd be terrified to take it out. Um, but so, no. Uh, <laughs> so so you're, this is what I just loved. This is what I loved. when I, It really says a lot about you, which is what I, I found so interesting is, um, your your life with cars starts. Um, correct me if I'm wrong here. This is all I've just found on the internet, which is you know not the source of truth always. Um, but 1983, you begin with a Volkswagen Beetle. I did. I did. So what a, what a car! I mean, I've got I've got absolutely nothing wrong with that. It was just awesome. I I passed the driving test, and my stepfather was going to buy me a car. So I'd always loved. Beatles. I don't know whether it was a shape or they just they were so cute, and and I still love them to this day. So stepfather and I go hunting, and and we come across a bright orange beetle, and then I'm in love, and my stepfather just buys it because I, I think he's trying to sort of get, become a good stepdad, and 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 I mean he was fantastic, but um, he buys me this beetle, and <laughs> I have to say at that point I didn't know a lot about cars, and my stepfather really knew not a lot at all probably even less than me. And she had an 1800 camper engine in the back. She had twin Weber carbs. She had a Kobe exhaust and this thing could go. And she was also the loudest thing on the planet. And she backfired all the time. So I called her Frida after the blue piece of tortoise. And for those of you who are a bit young or on the wrong side of the planet, blue, blue Peter, um, it was a kids program when I was, um, kid and it's still going today but part of the, the thing was all the presenters had an animal so so um, there was a cat and a dog and a pony and a tortoise and the tortoise was called Frida so Beetle looked like a tortoise so I called her Frida and that soon got replaced by Farty because of the noise she made and and, and <laughs> everybody grew to knew her and, and, and love her because she was sort of unrecognisable but the downside was you know couldn't keep back home a little bit late because my mum could hear her coming from about a mile and a half down the road because she didn't have <laughs> But she was just the most fun car. She gave me my freedom, my independence. I was working two jobs at the time because she guzzled gas. Um, but I drove all over the south of England in her. Um, my, my single boyfriends at the time played in, in, in sort of punk bands and. Um, that that was sort of my passion back then as well. Um, and so, yeah, this car was just amazing. Um, and, yeah, I, I still I have a picture of her. My father, my stepfather actually got the um, the Kiwi logo from Dad's original um, symbol made and put on the side of the car in light grey, dark grey, and then black. So she had three Kiwis and kind of a... a, a coming out the back um and and yeah it was just a bad car a bad car i'll um yeah i'll try and find a photo <laughs> yeah please do as you said 1983 going up to punk concerts in your beetle we've got <laughs> we've got bmw 5 series in there we've got um a few toyotas including an mr2 but talk to me about the igo um what is that your is that outside the house now um, so no, it's not. So that that was in England, um, and and we're now in New Zealand. So I've I've actually got um, a Yaris, and 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 um, 
my husband's got the the Rav Four, and and you may see a bit of a Toyota theme emerging. Um, we we so I was born in England. I came out to New Zealand on a family holiday in in nineteen eighty nine. I thought oh, I'll stay for six months. Became six years. Became. 16 years became 26 years and then we went back to England for a while to to, um, work at McLaren's and now we're back in New Zealand. But on the farm um, that we had, we had a little Connecticut lifestyle block in New Zealand, we we had a um, a, a Toyota um, highlights and um, yeah, they're impossible to kill and and certainly on um, Top Gear they tried to do that and they're just the most fantastic wagon for sort of farm life. So we had that, and I had a little MR2, which was just, you know, next best thing, if you, if you can't afford a McLaren, get a little mid-engine MR2 because they're beautifully balanced. They're, they're fantastic to drive, and I had so much fun in, in it. Um, but, yeah, just like any local sports car, hard to get in and out of as you get old. But Chris Amon and, and Dad um, won Le Mans together in 1966. Chris Amon was always a, a big fan of Toyota and actually was a Toyota ambassador here in New Zealand. And again, whether it be the links or just the experiences we've had, we've always loved Toyota. So we get to England and we're working at the McLaren Technology Centre and who wouldn't want to do that? The most incredible place until you try to park your car. In the MTC was built when there were about 100 odd people working in Formula One because really that's all it was. Um, and then Applied Technologies comes along and McLaren Automotive comes along and the workforce expands to pre COVID over 3,000 people. And MTC is built on Greenbelt land and we kind of just scrape another concrete pad for another car park. And so car parking is the biggest nightmare and they tried all sorts to try and resolve it and, and they're doing their best but it is still incredibly difficult. There's also a lot of traffic jams and and, and commuters traffic in, in the UK. So I needed something that was easy to drive, so an automatic. I needed something that was small so I could park it at MTC. And I needed something that I could put the seats down and chuck a bag of horse feed in the back. So what was the smallest five-door automatic on the market at the time, the Toyota Iger? Now, bless its cotton stocks. It was a great little car and, and you know, Toyota reliability. She never let me down, but she couldn't pull the skin off a rice pudding. It was it, it, it was a great little city car, but um, don't take it off the motorway. Um, <laughs> it takes about three days to sort of get up to 70 and pull that car. Um, and so I have to say, um, yeah, she, she she was brilliant for the purpose she was bought for. Um, but out here in, in New Zealand, a little bit less traffic, but the roads are a bit sort of more open and, and, and a little freer. Um, and the Yaris is, is just fantastic. I'm loving that. Um, but, yeah, we, we are a Toyota family. <laughs> Next best thing to, 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 to do a McLaren. <laughs> Yeah. So you, you mentioned your, your dad and Chris Amon winning Le Mans. Mm. Now, there was the, the recent film uh, about Le Mans and the battle between Ford and, and Ferrari. What, have you seen it? What did you think of it? Was it a, a decent representation? Um, <laughs> yes and no. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have seen it. Um, I, I think it, it, it's the difference between a documentary which sort of tells the story as was um, and Hollywood where you need a protagonist and antagonist and you need a dramatic arc and you need to keep the audience engaged and rooting for the good guy and uh, against the bad guy, whoever the bad guy may be. So, um, the, the, and, and depending again where in the planet you are, the film had two different names, um, I think from 66 or Ford versus Ferrari. Um, it, it was very much sort of 10 miles versus Ford, um, which was obviously a small part of the 66 Le Mans story. Um, 
But the fact that dad did a lot of, of development on that car for Toyota, uh, sorry, for Ford, to get it to where it was, to be able to be one, two, three at that race. Um, and he and Chris actually won it. It was really rather skipped over in the story. I can understand it from a film director's point of view and from Hollywood's point of view. But as an accurate representation of that race, um, that, no, it, it didn't actually portray the story. And how about the uh, how about Rush? Rush, I think, was probably a little closer to being accurate. Um, although, um, it, again, they, they sort of made James the hero and Nicky perhaps a little bit worse than he was in real life. Um, but but I think, you know, I, I think they certainly got it a little closer in the, the person that won the race won the race. Um, and the person that won the championship, but won the championship rather than than, than with them um, with with them um, versus Ferrari or Le Mans, where where you know, that was really glossed over. And yes, I, I I really did enjoy the film Rush, um, and um, certainly a, a, a yeah a, a good synopsis of that year. Um, yeah. Okay, so while we're on the subject of F one again, I'm going to ask you a bit of a uh, you know bit of a personal question. Out of all of the drivers who have driven for McLaren, what would your dream pairing be? If you could bring anyone back going into 2022, what would your dream pairing be? And you can say your dad if you want to. I'll let, I'll let you have it. I will, and, it, it, and it's the same answer that I recently tweeted, which sort of got a bit of a frenzy going. Um, it would be my dad and Ed. Um and the reason for that, my dad wasn't the fastest driver out there, but he was a great test driver and certainly knew how to design and build cars. He could also motivate the people around him. And back in the days before we had sort of really good leadership theories and everybody goes on the course and learns all this, he led that team to all the victories that they had through Pan Am and then into Formula One and Indy to the extent where Haddon Ganley, a New Zealander, who was one of his, his early mechanics and later became a very, very good family friend, said that if Bruce had, if Bruce had said, right, men, and Haddon says Bruce always called us men because I think all the mechanics at that point were, um, Right, men, today we're going to march out into the desert and build a brick wall. Every single one of them would have done it without question. And that just, I'm so in awe of that, in that, that somebody could instill so much passion and, and motivation, but the team believed in him so much that they would do that. So the ideal pairing, I mean, Ayrton, very much <laughs> the favourite, um, obviously one of the greatest Formula One drivers ever, um, some incredible history with McLaren. And I think, you know, if, if you want to go out there and, and win a race, um, you put him in a, in a well-designed designed car um, and, and you'd have an amazing team. Um, and and, and Dad, maybe you know, testing the cars, different setups on 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 practice days and things, and 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 then going out there and just yeah, killing it. <laughs> it's um yeah, it, it would be an interesting combination, and I'd love to just hear them talk. I think yeah, Dad would obviously that the sort of cars that they had and drive. We were just getting into the really technical times in Formula One, and you know, paddle shifts and 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 getting rid of your clutch and. and Oh, your, your, your third pedal, but your third pedal, and and it's just getting much more sort of automatic. But I think Dad would have would have understood all that. You know, he he was very very shrewd when it came to um, 
aerodynamics, car design, engineering, and what made a car faster or not. Um, and to see the success in the Can-Am series. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it would be a really interesting pairing. Um, any two drivers in the world from – so I picked two McLaren drivers. Um, any two drivers – that, that that would be, I think, an impossible question because and, and it's this, this constant thing we have at the moment. You know, who is the best Formula One driver ever? And I think it's an impossible question to answer because you're comparing an apple with an orange with a banana because the cars were different. The circuits were different. Everything was different. And so, you know... Ascari, Fangio, Jim Clark, Ayrton, Lewis, who's the best? Impossible to answer. So I, 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 I really don't know. Um, it's outside of McLaren, which two drivers I'd pick. That's a fair answer. And do you know what? You don't even need to think about the two drivers outside of McLaren because I think the pairing you chose is absolutely fantastic. Um, <laughs> But following up, because, you know, Ayrton Senna, what a driver he was and obviously such a tragedy with it, with his life being cut short in the way it was. Do you think, this is probably another impossible question for you, but I'm going to answer it, ask it anyway. Do you think that if he'd have carried on, that there would even be a debate on who the best driver ever was? Because in my opinion, if he'd have carried on, there would be no question. It would be, it would be him. I would agree. I think, um, yeah, had that awful tragedy not happened, um, and I do agree with Murray Walker when he says, you know, the darkest day in Formula One history. Um, it just, just where he would have gone, and and how many more races he would have won, how many more championships. Um, but yeah, yeah. In, in terms of just I mean, he had the technical skill and ability, but he seemed to have something. And 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 other people talk about it. It, it. it seems to be something almost very hard to put a name to or to describe. Where you know, drivers talk about becoming one with the car or getting in the zone or. or just, you know, but 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 Ayrton with his sort of spiritual connection and, and just was really out there on his own. Um quite, quite spectacular. And yeah, it, it would have been wonderful to see where he could have gone and, and, and what he did with his career. You said you had an MA in nursing leadership and in the current day and age there's more and more female fa- female fans of motorsport and people having an interest in it and women working in the industry and that you said I believe in an interview that with your nursing it helps you understand stereotypes and gender roles do you think that do you think that women are overcoming these stereotypes in motorsport in the industry and are you excited about the future that women have in motorsport as well well yes just to touch on on, on the nursing stereotype um yeah, you think of a nurse, you think of a female. If, if a male says, I'm a nurse, it, it sadly is an automatic assumption that he's gay. Male straight nurses, there are a lot of them and, and they're fantastic, but there is that stereotype that the men are the doctors and the women are the nurses. Flip that completely on its head and you get into motorsport and they're all men gradually seeing that change and I have to give a huge shout out to Emma Gilmore um, for becoming McLaren's first female driver in our Extreme E series and that series has also got McLaren's first female race director so uh, not race director but um, engineer so absolutely fantastic Um, however it is still very much a male dominated sport we are slowly chipping away, um, and and I'm really pleased to see that. I think it will take a long time before that the scales balance, just because sheer weight of numbers at the moment. But I, I, I believe that it's the sort of job that that 
women can do just as well, especially in the design and engineering side of things. But certainly in McLaren, you know, a lot of our designers and engineers are female. And we're seeing more female drivers come through, um, but possibly not as many as, as, as we would need. Um, but yes, it, it is good to see that, that women are getting a chance. They're able through their education to learn exactly the same as, as, as what the boys and, and then the young men want to do and to step into the careers that the men want to do. Um, but I think, you know, it, 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 I, I always believe that you should be employed because of your skill and not because of your gender. But I think it's also up to us women to see that these opportunities are available to us and that's what you want to do. Grab it with both hands and go for it. In the, part of my role with, with McLaren was to take young students, universities, graduates and so on through the McLaren Technology Centre and the McLaren Production Centre. And especially when you got to the McLaren Production Centre, people sort of imagine that where you build a Formula One car and, and they've heard it on the, 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 the social media or they've seen it on TV as kind of a, a pretty clean environment, but they don't think that about building road cars. And when they go and see McLaren Technology uh, McLaren Production Centre, where McLaren Automotive built their road cars, they see a much much bigger version of the Formula One workshop where we build our, our Formula One cars. Yeah, the white tiles, the white walls, everything laid out precisely. Nothing for you to trip over, and and and. No mess, no dirt, no oil on the floor, no rubby calendars on the wall and things like that. And they're surprised and they're quite shocked. And then they're quite delighted in that. Oh, I can see myself working there. You know, it, it's not some grubby workshop at the back of, you know, someone's garage anymore. It is, you know, a, a lovely environment. And, you know, that that's fantastic that, that women are seeing that. However, I also know a lot of, of, of women who are more than happy to get down in the dirt, get under their four by four and sort it out and, you know, take it cross country at the weekend and bring it back covered in mud and, and, and with, with all sorts. And, and, and you know, but again, once upon a time, we had to be all clean and pristine and, and you know, I've got no now to talk of. You know, my hair's always a mess. I scrub myself up when we go out and, and I have to do a presentation or, or, you know, speak on behalf of the company or my dad. But the rest of the time, you know, I'm with my horse and I'm eating it. And, and yeah, there isn't the expectation that women are sort of change the kitchen sink at home, looking lovely and having the meals served when you get home. Um, so we, we, we've really broken a lot of those gender stereotypes, certainly in the developed world. Um, but, yeah, more to, more to be done, more to be done, yeah. Mm. I mean, we, we had an incredible guest on our podcast a while ago um, by the name of Ella Podmore, who I'm sure uh, you're, you're aware of. And uh, what what a girl. I mean, if you if you don't fall in love with her just by talking to her, then something's wrong with you. Her, just her mannerisms and her passion for what she does for, for McLaren and um, the way that she, she, she's, she's inspiring others. And I, I, when, when we released the podcast, there were hundreds of people that emailed us saying how inspirational they found it. And some of the stories that Ella told us about the, the, the lengths they go to to find a certain material. Uh, for a certain part on a McLaren. And even for some customers, they will find a unique part to put on a McLaren. I mean, it's it's absolutely incredible. Um, so certainly what, what you've said rings true. Um, now, Amanda, we, we've had a couple of questions come in from our fans. We, we obviously said we were having a chat with you. So I, I've got two that I'm going to ask you. Ian Fowley asked us, I would love to know Amanda's thoughts on New Zealand's young drivers trying to get into F1. Great question. Um, yeah, you know, with, with, with the exception really of, of, of Brendan Hartley in, in what was it, 2017, um, we haven't had many New Zealand drivers in Formula One recently. Um, I think back in Dad's day, um, you, you, your seat in Formula One was, was based on your talent and how many races you were winning. 
Um, there was also the, the, the drivers, then the Driver to Europe Scholarship, which my dad was the inaugural winner of, and Danny Helm and others came, came across subsequently. Um, today, I, I think, you know, you need to come up through the ranks, um, whether it be sort of through karting, Formula 2, into Formula 1, or in New Zealand, who we've got the Toyota Racing Series and, and you know, people like the Gilcraft family really helping with, with young drivers to come up through that. Um, I think it, 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 you've obviously got to have a reasonable level of skill, um, some obviously more than others. However, I think to get a Formula One seat today, you've got to have a rich relative. And I think that that's sort of just a reflection of how incredibly expensive the sport has become in, in that I use the term sport, but it's not. It's a multi-million dollar business and industry. And I, I think, you know, without that money, it would be incredibly difficult, very sadly, for a young New Zealand driver um, to get a good seat in Formula One. Um, however, you know, it, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. And, and we've seen some of them, you know, have a, a bit of a test session or, or go through Ferrari or, or Red Bull's young driver programs so you know there is a chance and of course I would love to see a, a young New Zealand driver in a Formula One car it would be a division of loyalties for me because I, I'm yeah I have a foot in both camps I was born in the UK but I am very much a New Zealander as well I have dual nationality two passports um and and you know before the the um before Aaron McLaren, he came along, you know, we always screamed for Scott Dixon um, when we were at the Indy Series or watching the races. Um, so, yeah, I would just love to see a young young New Zealander in Formula One, um, but it, it, it's not easy, not easy. Okay. So, uh, Ian Fowley, there, there's your answer. Um, and the second one we've got is from Lee Gambles. Now, this is relating to F1 this year. Um, he said, do you think McLaren will be hard to beat this year with the Mercedes engine and having the facilities that they have to hand? Now, um, just to add something to that, we all think the same. Um, so, Amanda, are McLaren going to be a force to be reckoned with this year? Uh, oh, my goodness, what a question. Of course, I want to say absolutely yes. Um, but but I, I, I think that there have been so many, you know, technical changes to the cars this season, it, it's very much a blank slate and, and we're sort of starting again. So, um, you know, we, we've got two incredible drivers. Um, young Lando has shown that, you know, he's very capable of winning, um, almost but not quite last year, of course. But, um, you know, he, he's got the speed and, and the talent. Um, Danny Rick, you know, last year's car really didn't suit him. However, despite that, he still got on the podium at Monza. So, you know, again, we've got the driver capability. Um, will it be more of a level playing field with the cost caps and so on? Um, all the changes to, to the, the, the aero, the closer racing and all the rest of it. Um, I, it's going to be so interesting, so exciting. I can't wait to see it, um, you know, roll around that, that, that first race. But um, will McLaren be up there? Gosh, I hope so. Um, I really do hope so. Yeah, they deserve it. They've worked so hard over, over the last few years. Zach and Andreas have, have done an incredible job to, to build that team back up from, you know, last to, to – podium last year and, and four things structures. Just, just yeah, fantastic. And I would dearly love to see them, you know, back on the podium and and, and more wins and and yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Well I mean I I, I can see it. I Amanda, I can see it. <laughs> In twenty twenty two, who do you think will be the best driver out of Lando and Daniel? Who do you think will get the most podiums and do well in most races? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. 
that that is a really, really, really hard question. <laughs> Based on last year, I can't answer it in one quick one 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 word. Um, All right, we'll, we'll give you we'll give you one paragraph. I'm, 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 <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, yeah. Based on last year, you'd have to say Lando. Based on previous experience, it would be Danny. And and it really is a matter of, of, of and, and we saw it very much last year, who clicked with the car. Um, and and that remains to be seen. So, um, yeah, God, impossible question to answer. And, and I'm not going to say because I, I, I'm... Don't want people to say, Alan, I just said it would be so and so, and it's not. And it's... <laughs> I'm not going to answer that one. We're, we're not those guys, don't worry. <laughs> Great question, though. I, I love it, but it hasn't got an answer. <laughs> no, there is one that you could probably answer in one in one word, hopefully. Should a McLaren be papaya, white, or silver? Papaya. There you go. Love it. Straight to the point. Now, Amanda, I have a very, very special treat for you. Probably isn't as glamorous as what you think it is, actually. I'd probably build that up a little bit too much. Um, But, you know, we've had, every time we have a a very special guest on the show, I like to bring out um, a segment called the Motorsport Time Machine. Now, basically, here's what you have to do. You can go anywhere in time to any motorsport, and you can do whatever you want. So, for example, Louise Goodman went back to the 70s and she partied with James Hunt. David Croft went back to the first ever F1 race. So, if you could go anywhere in the motorsport world at any point in time, where would you go and what would you be doing? Ooh, I'd go back to Monaco in 1962 when my dad won. Wow, you know what? That is the fastest answer we've ever had to that question. So many people go, mm, I'm not sure, I don't know. But that, straight, I love that. You knew straight away. It's as if you knew I was going to ask that. That's brilliant. I, I didn't know, but the stories my mother tells of that race um, and, and what happens in sort of before and after, it would just be, yeah, second probably only to partying with James. Um, but yeah, it, it was just, I mean, Monaco is, is glamorous. Back then, it was one huge party for, for the drivers, but especially the spouses. You know, Dad and, and Mum went to the palace, had a cocktail party with the Rainiers. There's an amazing story around that. Um, but, yeah, just the people she met. And, of course, Dad winning there. I mean, how amazing. So, yeah, that would be my story. So, would you want to be stood with your mother watching the race and talking with all these people? Or would you, you – know, the time machine's a very special machine, and for this personal – you know, dream, I would happily build a sidecar for your dad's car and let you go around with him for the victory. Now, would you choose to be in the car with your dad or would you be stood with your mother? Oh, my goodness. I, I think I'd be terrified being in a sidecar, um, especially with how narrow Monaco is and that there wouldn't be room. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think um, with, with, with mum watching, um and her clutching my hand and, and we'd be drinking volumes of, of, of wine or champagne um, just to get us through the race. And then I think just, you know, being with her and dad when he got gets out of the cockpit and and that that would be an incredible moment. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think I'd, I'd probably, and, and yeah, the anticipation of, of, of watching with mum and, and just sort of hanging on every lap and every corner and, every moment and, and then it all yeah 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 brilliant that, that's probably my favorite answer to that question <laughs> can you say that every race uh, sorry, every race no but i mean uh, every it podcast time. but, but <laughs> to be fair the quality of answers just keep going up so um yes i i i'm with you there um Amanda, I wish I could sit here and talk to you for the rest of the <laughs> evening until it is New Zealand time. As you said, New Zealand is ahead of us in more ways than one. Um, so I, I do wish we could sit and talk all night. But it has been really, really fascinating to hear what you've told us. And I thank you so much for coming on this show. Um, I know I don't speak for myself. I speak for our panel here and our listeners. Um, so thank you so much for being here. I, ho- I hope you've 
you've you've had a good time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Some great questions. Really lovely talking to you. And yeah, thank you for inviting me. And as you said, the weather is beautiful outside, so I'm not going to keep you for it anymore. I can see the beach. I'll just make you really, really jealous and just show you what. Oh, wow. I could, I could make you really jealous and show you the, the ice outside. Oh, so, wow. Uh, yeah, but that, that, so the place where we're living actually belongs to um, Denny Holmes' daughter and son-in-law because um, we're building a house and they haven't even started speaking yet to build the house. So, yeah, this, this is our, our home for probably the next year or so. Um, so, yeah, it, it's beautiful. Yeah. It could be worse. <laughs> Could definitely be worse, couldn't it? Could be an awful lot worse. Yeah, there it is in the background. <laughs> yeah. Well, Amanda, I know when I'm going to purchase my McLaren, who I'm taking with me. Um, so uh, I will I will see you at the Technology Centre. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. We'll do. We'll keep in touch. That's just the way I feel. You cannot stop the way. Podcast Network.